Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Chandler Vinoy. Hey, hey. Which, I I mean, you're pretty much always here now, so. <laughs> I am always here. You're stuck with me. I know. Yes. Uh, but we have a special guest who's a fourth-time guest. He's getting up there with some of our... our <laughs> Go for the record. He's with Carrie and Christine Kane and... Um, Nobody can touch Brad Lominick, and I know he's a friend of yours as well. This is uh, Louis Giglio. He's a pastor of Passion City Church. Um, he's the original visionary of the Passion Movement, and it, it, which has uh, affected generations of us. Uh, so thank you for that, Louis. Today, he uh, we're inviting him on to talk about affecting a new generation, um, because you may be familiar with the book Goliath Must Fall. Uh, I tweeted through it um, back when it first came out, just found it to be um, it. I read a lot and you guys know that in part I, I read for a living and break down books for a living and leadership processes and all that for a living. But what I've always appreciated about Louis is his posture at which he approaches um, different subjects in a book. Uh, Goliath Must Fall was one that actually you know, I hate to say not every book is, is moving. Um, but that is one that, that moved me, um, because it was basically saying, Hey, you know, we all have a struggle. Uh, we all struggle with at least one of these giants. And, you know, he outlines five different giants, which he does, uh, here as well. And guys, you know, the, the big thing that I want you, uh, to, to walk away with is, don't just think this book is 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 for your kid or for your children's ministry. Um, I want to challenge you to to walk through it as well. It's written for um, uh, you know a ten to twelve year old. I think if I'm remembering uh, correctly, is that right, Louis? Yeah, I think some nine to thirteen or somewhere in there. All right. So we all know that that is a very formative time uh, for tweens for children who are, who are beginning to come into their own. And so, you know, it's just saying, Hey, anything that keeps you from becoming who God has created you to be Ephesians two, eight, uh, 10 says he's your workmanship. And you know, he's uh, all these plans for you. The giants you're facing are fear, rejection, comfort, anger, or addiction. And increasingly kids in that age group are, are coming under fire from that. This is the longest lead in I think I've done <laughs> in 2020, but I'm excited about it because uh, my kids, uh, my, my kids read How Great Is Our God every night as a devotional. I read it with them. I have four children um, and it's just been a, a blessing to us. So uh, I'm happy to see the older two um, graduate into this and um, I'm definitely going to be picking this up and giving it to them. So Thank you so much for being on again today, Louis. Is there anything else that you would like to say uh, about yourself or about this book before we get started? Hey, just happy to be on. And, um, you know, obviously it's uh, late 2020, just glad to be anywhere, honestly, and grateful today that we're all still here and in our right mind, at least for the most part. And uh, love the fact that you guys have had me back on and I'm happy to know that I'm, you know, becoming a uh, I don't know what, what, what your legacy, uh, guests are, you know, getting up there in the multiple times category. <laughs> I love being on the podcast with you guys and 
And I, I love what you just said about how great is our God and how your kids are going through that every night. I mean, that just blows my heart up in the biggest way. And it really is a shift for us in a way. Someone asked me the other day, what, what made you want to, you know, start writing kids books? And I'm like, well, I don't know that anything necessarily made me think one day I want to write books for kids. It's just that when you are talking about the greatness of God and creation, your best audience for that is kids because they're unfiltered and they're like, wow, that's so amazing. No way. And it just puts the great color commentary, if you will, on the story of God and creation. And then when you see that mirror turn around and you see a, a, a little boy or a little girl, when it dawns on them, this same God who flung the stars into space made me. Um, wow. I mean, there, it's just such a, a powerful, humbling place to be. And as a parent, you know that. Um, and so I have a great writing partner who's, you know, helping with these kids devotionals. And we'd seen the way that God had used them not only to touch the kids, but to touch their parents. And so um, we thought, let's take a message like Goliath must fall, which isn't just about adults. Kids are struggling like crazy right now with giants in their lives. And if you, if you can get at that giant at eight years old versus at 48 years old, man, why wouldn't you want to do that? If you can start talking about anger when you're 11 and not when you're 41, why wouldn't you want to do that? And so uh, the same partner who's helped with Indescribable, How Great Is Our God, helped take Goliath Must Fall, the, the version that we did for adults and kind of reframe it for a nine, 10, 11 year old reader. And I am so pumped about the possibility of God using this to head off a lot of the things that moms and dads are struggling with and probably um, innately passing on to their kids in a way that they don't even realize possibly to see those chains and those cycles be broken. And man, I, that fires me up about as much as anything. Well, most of our listeners are pastors or, or church leaders and they, they're very familiar with the story of David and Goliath, but you put uh, a really big plot shift um, on one of, you know, the most well-known stories in the Bible. Can you just walk us through what that is? If people missed it uh, coming along on the book uh, in the messages, you know, the wake up for me. And I, I think the, the real big twist in this is understanding that we're not David in the story of David and Goliath. And, and if there was ever a time to really make that shift, it was when you're talking to a nine, 10 or 11 or 12 year old, because that's where you really can preach the fire out of the, <laughs> if this little shepherd boy, 75 pounds could take on Goliath then you can take on whatever giants you're facing in your life. And I mean, that preaches great at the middle school retreat. But we all know now that we're in our 50s and 60s and 40s and 70s that some of the same giants we were facing at that middle school retreat are still in our story today, right? Yeah. So it's not as simple as throwing another stick in the fire or nailing something else to the cross or, you know, drawing another line in the sand and saying, I'm going to be David and get my five rocks from the campground and come down to the altar tomorrow night and I'm going to take down all the giants in my life. What 
what we see in this story is that Jesus is front and center. And that's the lens by which we want to read the Bible. We want to look in every story on every page and say, where is Jesus? If he is the word made flesh and this is the word of God, then where is he in the story? So when we look at the valley of Allah, we know he's not David's brothers who are shaking in their boots. We know he's not the Philistine army who are vile and anti-God. We know he's not Goliath who's cursing God. Uh, we know he's not Saul who, you know, just can't quite engage in the situation. So where is he? And quickly we discover he's the anointed one. He's the one of whom it was said, I choose this one to lead my people. And David shows us the giant slayer Jesus. And so all of a sudden my preaching now isn't, hey, if David could do it, you could do it. The preaching and the story now is Jesus is David and the story of David and Goliath and Jesus through his death, burial and resurrection, through his ascension to the right hand of God, he's already taken down every single giant. And as we talked about in the book, yes, the giants are still deadly, even though they're dead, but it's learning to walk in what he has done so that we can begin to experience the victory that he's already won for us. Man, that's such a such a helpful shift. And even especially as you're saying, teaching it to, you know, children who are eight to 12, it's easy for them to put themselves in the shoes of David and be like, I can slay this giant. So just love, love that spin on that. And just a helpful reminder for all of us. But in the book, you talk about many different issues. And of course, in the midst of the season that we're in, you know, everyone is, is wrestling with, with new types of issues. Um, if you had you know, a struggle before it's only being amplified during this um, tenacious season. So that that includes children as well. And for parents, they're trying to lead their kids and for pastors are trying to lead their church in this way. So what issues, you know, for, for young readers who would be reading this book, are, th- are young people, 8 to 12, facing today that you are most helpful, hopeful that they will be encouraged by through what you wrote in this book? Well, 2020 has been, you know, something, something else. And as you say, it's only accentuated the issues that we already are struggling with. It's just that extra weight that is, you know, showing how likely we are to crack in certain places in our lives. And a, a specific example of the 2020 way that something has been highlighted for a nine-year-old Uh, I think most nine and 10 year olds are already struggling with anxiety on some level. And I'm not trying to label them with that. It's just a reality of living in a a screen oriented world where our brains are literally being rewired by the technology that we're interfacing with all day. And if, if someone already is fearful or anxious or possibly tipping towards depression or dread, and you put them in the middle of an environment where they think, okay, I have to go back to school because we're doing two-day-a-week in-person learning now, and I might catch a virus at school and come home and give it to grandpa, Mm. and grandpa might pass away and go to heaven. And I don't think we have factored in fully the weight of that responsibility on a 10 year old. And I think that 
that's just a tip of this 2020 iceberg of, you know, kids maybe don't understand everything about the stock market and they don't understand everything about the election and they don't understand everything about racial tension and injustice and they don't understand everything about the, the climate, the cancel culture climate that we're in. They don't understand everything about job loss, everything about recession. But man, they absorb enough of every news channel that's playing in the background, every conversation mom is having with her best friend and the SUV, even though they're in the back with uh, headphones on and playing a video game, they are absorbing. And what they're absorbing in 2020 is putting gasoline on a fire of fear. And I think that to come uh, around that and to understand that is um, it's going to be life-saving for them because they're, they're in a window of time. I mean, you know, where <clears throat> honestly they're making very, very uh, big decisions about whether they want to be on this planet or not. And that starts, you know, you think that's a high school college thing, but those seeds are planted early and they're percolating full speed in middle school. And we see it happening ar around us all the time. So I think that's an example of, uh, of where we are. And, you know, alcohol sales are off the chart this year. Um, I was reading an article about it the other day and wine and spirits, I mean, never seen anything like it before. Uh, well, what is that about? That's not about people who needed a drink. Uh, it's about 2020 making people need two drinks. And so whatever made you need one now is making you need two. And whatever was making you afraid is now making you really afraid. And that's not just happening in adults. It's happening in kids as well. So then, you know, what encouragement and advice would you give for to parents who are walking you know, with their children through this time who might be battling fear, anxiety, you know, whatever their giant is, it's attacking them, but especially those two. I, my main encouragement, I think, for adults, period, is to get help and to to be honest about what help you need and where you are, um, because this is the very best thing I believe a parent can do for their their kids is to get help. And I think a lot of times we think, OK, I've got all these issues, so I've got to make sure my kid doesn't have these issues. So I'm going to compensate. So if, if I'm struggling with fear and depression, I'm going to project happiness and put a cocoon of projected happiness around my child um, <clears throat> to try to compensate for the fact that mom is depressed. Um, I'm going to make sure that I'm giving my child all these experiences to make sure they have you know, a layer of happiness. But the best thing I can do for my child, if I'm a mom who's depressed, is go to a counselor and start working on my depression and see a doctor if I need to and uh, get help, engage with the Holy Spirit, um, let the light in and then be honest with my family. Hey, I'm struggling over here, but I'm getting help. I'm struggling, but Jesus is in it with me. I'm struggling, but I'm, I'm learning to lean on Jesus, even in the middle of the struggle. And, and when you do that, what you're now communicating to your kid is there's a path, there's a way, there's a person. His name is Jesus. If you don't do that, here's my take. And I don't know because I don't have kids, so I could be completely off base. But if a depressed parent 
is trying to project and create happiness for their kid as a compensation. I think the kid sees straight through all of that and sees the hopelessness of the parent who can't get fixed. And so they're trying to fix it by compensating. And that puts a seed in the kid of, wow, when the surface happiness is gone, I don't know how to really deal with the under the surface sadness that I feel in my heart because mom can't deal with hers. I don't know how I'm going to deal with mine. So I think the best thing mom and dad can do is say, hey, we love you and we really want you to be happy. But right now I got to focus on getting happy and I've got to focus on getting healthy and getting better and getting well. And hopefully in that process, you're going to see mom get better or dad get better, but you're also going to see that there's a path and you're going to hear about someone named Jesus. And that's one of the things we say in Goliath that, you know, the reason why the book's called Goliath Must Fall is really important. And I'm sorry I gave you a long answer. I probably cannibalized a few questions, but the reason the title is so important is because Goliath has fallen. We already read that. It's in the Bible. Thousands of years ago, Goliath fell. So that happened. So why didn't we call it Goliath has fallen? Um, <laughs> because a dead snake, a dead venomous snake can still poison you if you step on its fangs three months after it died. And fear, even though it died at the cross and in the tomb, can still put poison in your heart if you step on its fangs now. And so we're saying Goliath must fall, even though Goliath has fallen. And the reason Goliath must fall is so that we can be free. But the biggest reason why Goliath must fall is so that Jesus can get glory. And if I can't experience victory in my life, then Jesus doesn't get glory in my life. And so what do we want our kids to see? We want them to see Jesus glorified. And how are they going to see Jesus glorified? By us letting him bring forth victory in our life. So we get free. Mom and dad get free. But that's not the story the kids tell. They don't say, oh, my mom got better. Isn't that amazing? They go, Jesus is awesome. Jesus made my mom better. Mm. And that's the way you answer that. I really appreciate how you're saying as parents, um, I'm not a parent. I know. Todd, as he's mentioned, is is walking through uh, with his, you know, he has two between the ages of eight and 12. But the greatest example he can give to them is an example of running to Jesus as his hope um, in the midst of whatever giants are in front of him. And for many of our listeners, they are serving in a church. They are leaders in their church. So I want to I want to even ask a little bit of a further question for it starts in the home. But as churches, you know, we want to disciple parents to be able to then to disciple their children. And I know at Passion City, I, and you can just hear this is on your heart and something that you want to disciple your church in. What are, what is some advice that you would share for maybe, maybe preaching, maybe um, discipling the parents to wrestle with their own giants? And how do you lead your church in that way? <clears throat> well, it, I think that when you preach the word, which is what we all want to endeavor to do and not just preach clever, you know, messages, but we really want to preach the word. The word is very descriptive and very prescriptive. And I want to make sure that Jesus is at the center, A, but that I preach the, the descriptive side of it, which is the word is constantly re-identifying us. 
who we are. Um, we're starting a series in First Peter. First Peter opens up and once again takes a lot of real estate to tell the reader who they are in Christ. And the enemy is constantly trying to take the identification lane, tell us who we are. You're nobody. You're a sinner. You're, you should be ashamed. You should be full of guilt. You're never going to mount anything or you deserve whatever you want. Get whatever you can. We're always going to be somewhere in the middle trying to create an identity for ourselves based on who we are, where we came from, what our family's like, what we think about ourselves. And so God always is re-identifying. So I want to preach that out of the word, but then it's not just descriptive, it's prescriptive. And it says, because of who you are, this is what life is like for you. And I believe if we preach the word week by week by week, we're going to be calling people up to who they are and calling people up to the to the giants that are standing right in front of them. But again, we're not doing it in a religious context of saying, here's how you then can try hard enough to defeat this thing. We're doing it in a gospel context and saying, Jesus is our hope. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory is the way Paul wrote it. And I think that gospel is the gospel that we got to preach every single week. And I just love calling dads and moms to Jesus. Um, and it's not really about a parenting uh, message every week. It's about calling people to Jesus. And if we, we fall in love with Jesus and if we are having our lives changed by Jesus, then guess what? We're mom or dad's having a revival. And if mom and dad are having a revival, it's possible that revival is going to spread to the house. And um, these little kids, you know, they're pretty observant. They don't miss much. Right, Todd? And um, they see what we want them to see. But more than that, they see all the stuff we don't want them to see. And, um, you know, they get it. And if we're telling them Jesus is amazing, Jesus is amazing. Um, but then they know what we're using to cope and what we're using to manage the pain and what we're using to manage the disappointment or the depression. Um, they're reconciling those two messages in their hearts, even at five years old, at seven, at 10 years old. And then by 12 and 15, you know, a lot of them are having to actually manage the situation, not just reconcile the, 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 the two different messages. And they're actually helping mom get by and helping dad get by um, and picking up the slack in different ways and carrying the weight and carrying the burden. So I just think if mom and dad fall in love with Jesus, mom and dad have a revival, then the kids are going to get to watch revival, whether they accept it, want it and believe in it. That's not a guarantee, but at least they'll get to grow up watching. Hey, my dad is kind of like having a, he's having a thing with God and it's pretty crazy to watch. It's real. And <laughs> I got a front row seat for it. Love that. And I hope, I hope that's true in all of our homes. Right. So uh, thanks for that answer. Well, let's move the spotlight back onto the young reader, the the children who are in our homes though, that are in our churches and in, in the book, you talk about one of the giants being addiction, which, you know, for many of us, we don't think of it as a common issue for, for young readers who are, you know, eight to 12 years old, but unfortunately that's, that's not the case. So can you talk about how the giant of addiction can manifest itself in kids today? Well, I, I don't, again, I'm not in a household with uh, nine, 10, 11 and 12 year olds, but you know, addiction is a coping mechanism. And 
I think tons of kids are looking for coping mechanisms and the power of the video game, you know, again, is a man-made creation that is a ultimate coping mechanism. If I don't want to deal with this peripheral pain or this peripheral um, disappointment or what, what I'm afraid might happen or has happened, then man, what a great escape just to be able to drop into my screen and to literally almost be able to tune the entire world out. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm addicted to the game. I'm addicted to the fact that the game gives me a buffer for what I don't want to deal with and the pain I don't want to deal with. It's an escape. And that's why you look over on an airplane and see a you know, a businessman playing Candy Crush. I mean, it's just, I, you know, and everybody has their own vibe, you know, and their own yeah. lane they want to get in. But you're like, man, okay, you get one life and you're going to, you're going to log in about 500 hours on Candy Crush. That's, that's amazing. But it's just an escape. It's, I don't want to think about dealing with the thing with my kids when I land. I don't want to deal with the fact that I just lost that business deal and, that's not coming back. I don't want to deal with the fact that I'm sad right now or depressed and, and I just really don't want to do life. So I'm just going to disappear. And I think that if you look at the average household of young teens, you're going to see a lot of eating habits, a lot of sleeping habits, and a lot of video game habits a lot of social media habits that are simply coping mechanisms. And that's addiction. Addiction is saying, I don't think Jesus can help me with this. So I want to find another lane to get in to help me cope. And I feel like those seeds are sown at 11, at 9, 10, and 11. The things that we're struggling with at 35 and 45 those seeds were probably sown right then and there. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're sown beforehand and you know, they're, they're manifesting themselves now as, as we're older. So I know, you know, of course you, you wrote this book for adults and now it's being moved um, to an audience of young readers, which is extremely helpful. But for our listeners, they, they probably heard that we're, we're nodding their head that, yeah, you know, that's true for, for kids around me, but also, man, that's true for me as well. So what practical advice, maybe even from your own experience in your life, have you set up to make sure, I mean, just as much as the screen is a coping mechanism for, for children, it is for, for those who are older as well. So what advice would you share with, with maybe somebody who is trying to, you know, candy crushes their escape for lack of a better term. What advice would you share even for, for them? Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about before. I think it's just, um, A, acknowledging that all escape isn't bad. Um, I think sitting on a bench and staring at a sunset and playing Candy Crush could accomplish the same thing. So Candy Crush is not bad. Uh, <laughs> playing solitaire is not bad. Watching a college yeah. football game is not bad. And, and maybe having an extra double stuff Oreo isn't bad. Mm. I think, you know, the bad part of it is is identifying it's like, I don't think I can make it without that. Something in my mind is telling me that if I don't have, and I know we have pastors and leaders on, so no one would be in this boat, but if I don't have a glass of wine before I go to bed, I might not be able to really fall asleep tonight. 
that is where, you know, the hook comes. And I think for me, it's a, just identifying where are the escapes and is this a healthy escape or is this kind of tipping over into, I just really don't want to deal with life right now escape. And it goes back to what we said before, if it's the latter, it's admitting that first to myself and then maybe to someone else who cares about me to say, Hey, I, I think I'm you know more depressed than I, I think I am. A friend of mine um, stepped out of ministry not long ago, really amazing leader, which obviously we've seen a ton of in 2020 yeah. and just said, you know, I was talking to my, uh, my friend and come to find out I'm just a lot more depressed than I thought I was. And I, I just want to be vulnerable on this podcast today. I think probably half the people, well, it's maybe too many, but a lot of the people on this podcast today are more depressed than they think they are. And if we just step back and look at the Candy Crush, it's trying to tell us something and it's trying to say, hey, you need to take stock. So start with yourself, take stock, and then depending on what what you find out, take some steps. And maybe that's a simple step of changing my eating routine or changing my exercise routine or changing my workout routine uh, a little bit so I can, or maybe it's just simply breathing better. I mean, I, I mean, I know this is all crazy, but I talked to a friend the other day that saw the leading neuropsychologist on the planet. And this, this person's revolutionizing counseling and neuroscience. And you can't get in to see him unless you're somebody very special. And I have a friend who must be very special. I'm like, you got Dr. So-and-so, unbelievable. Tell me all about it. What did they say? And how are they helping? And this friend of mine struggles with depression and anxiety. And I said, man, what what did you learn? And then she said, man, he gave me the best breathing techniques. Hmm. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, but the best thing was, and I, and I, I believe Jesus is the answer for everything, but Jesus also gives us common sense. And science tells us that breathing literally helps us reduce anxiety. I mean, physiologically, 10 deep breaths will change your anxiety. And so that's, we used to give people a, a bag when they had a hyperventilated, breathe in a paper bag. We tell people, take a deep breath. We say all these things, but it's really real. So I might just look at the candy crush. It might help me understand that I'm more depressed than I thought I was. And I really need an escape. And I might say, you know what? I know a good thing for depression is just breathing. Uh, I know another good thing for depression is worship. I know another good thing for depression is to see and talk to somebody about what you're really struggling with under the surface. So I'm going to do those three things and I'm going to take a proactive approach to this. And maybe at the end of the day, I'll realize I haven't picked up Candy Crush in a while. Mm. That's really good. Uh, you know, I know when you originally set out to write this book, it you know, it was before 2020. Um, and, and I also know that, you know, the enemy hasn't really changed that much, uh, but the battlefield certainly has. And, and how would you say now on the other side of this, this book being written for children, how, how can it be, I don't know, utilized by families? Because if, if I'm honest as a parent and as people um, have already told you, when I mentioned the how great is our God devotional, like there are nights that I'm like, wow, that was really good. Like that really, you know, that was, that was a, a good uh, so cool. end to my day as well. 
how how can this book uh, impact the spiritual and emotional health of of the entire family? Well, I, I I'm a big believer in the fact that you know sometimes simpler is better, and that's what what you're underscoring with how great is our God with your kids is it you know I'm smiling so big right now <laughs> because the fact that you know something that's written for a seven or nine year old uh, can impact someone who's impacting leaders around the world is that's just the beauty of God. And I think that when we put things into simple terms, sometimes we realize that we're all simple and we try to overcomplicate things to impress ourselves and impress other people. But, you know, usually the middle school message hits me pretty hard. uh, The ones that they give around here. Uh, And so I think that here's what I would love to see happen. This would be a gift, I think, uh, for a family, is if mom and dad were, A, reading Goliath Must Fall, and their son or daughter were reading the Young Readers version, and instead of mom and dad reading and then translating, or son or daughter reading and then translating, they're both reading, and then there's just a conversation, or simply for, in your case, Todd, I mean, just think that one of your kids could be reading this Young Reader's version, and I can just see it in my mind right now, and just look up to you and say, hey, Dad, I just read this crazy illustration about these snakes. Did you know a snake can still, you can still get poisoned by a snake even after it's dead? And that opens up a door in a conversation that maybe allows that son or daughter to say, Hey, and by the way, um, this is really helping me. Um, I know that for me, I talked about suicide a lot the last two years and especially around teenagers. And a lot of people are like, Hey man, you don't really need to be talking about suicide with, you know, kids are 14 and 13 and middle school age, even 12. And I'm like, well, what's really motivated me to do it is a friend of mine's friend. These guys are dads. They hang out together. They all have sons about the same age. And the dad found a suicide letter on the son's computer. The son was like 13. Wow. And of course the dad, you know, was shattered and uh, didn't immediately say anything to the son. They were on their way to a, a, a youth event together for a few days. The dads and the sons were taking a road trip and they were, and I was at the event and I heard the story and Uh, like three days in the speaker at the end of the talk said something about maybe you're struggling with suicidal thoughts. And if so, the Lord really wants to encourage you to step into the light, to step out of the dark and not have to carry that by yourself. And I just want to encourage you just to lift your hand if that's you. Well, the kid standing right next to his dad raised his hand. And now the kid was able to say to the dad what the dad already knew. Uh, and had found out like five days before and they had a conversation light shined. And that was, I want to say three summers ago now. And that 13 year old is a 16 year old and is on the planet and not off the planet. And I pray that this, this young readers version allows kids to say things like that. Mom, dad, this is helping me. And the mom and dad can say, how is it helping you? Or what part are you reading? I'm reading the part about anger and mom, I'm realizing I'm really angry and I'm a lot angrier than I thought I was. And I never really got over the fact that dad left or I never got over the fact that that church ran us out. 
or I never got over the fact that those people said that about you and dad at church and that cost dad, uh, you know, I've never gotten over this or that and I'm angrier than I thought. And all of a sudden now a little doorway's opened and that's the family dynamic of this that we're praying for and believing for that now mom and dad, you know, they don't go, oh, great. Well, let's have a talk about anger. They just go, well, thank you so much for sharing that. I want to talk more about that when you want to. And it just now there's a lane to get in. And um, I think a book like Goliath Must Fall can do that. It gives people freedom. I'm vulnerable in the book. And I hope that that translates to other people um, that you can talk about what you're struggling with. And if that happens, then families can migrate together towards hopeful outcomes. I think in part, there's a fear with parents as well that their kid's going to have that conversation. They're going to be standing next to their kid when they raise their hand. And then what? Um, Because they feel, you know, like I don't even have my own life together. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by my own life. You know, now I'm feeling overwhelmed by trying to help my kid navigate through, you know, something. Um, Is there advice that you have or, you know, are there resources? Is there a a website or, or anything that can help, you know, with that or just help process this a little bit better? Well, you know, again, I mean, I feel like I'm a little bit out of my depth, but I think when a parent says, thank you for sharing that, um, and doesn't feel the pressure. You know, I think pastors feel that same pressure. It's like, I want to preach and ask people to get saved. But if you, somebody walks forward and says, I want to get saved, then you're like, okay, now I got to disciple you. you know? <laughs> and now I got to feel the weight or I want to share the gospel with my neighbor. But my neighbor then came over today and said, okay, I want Jesus. And I'm like, I don't know if I know how to lead somebody to Jesus or not. I mean, I think parents feel this. I think pastors feel it. I think Christians feel it. Like, I know I'm supposed to have all these answers, but I don't really know if I do have the answers even for my own life. So how am I going to help my coworker when they tell me that they want to find freedom in their life? And I think it starts by just saying, I'm just going to be honest by saying to my kid, hey, thank you for sharing that. You know, mom and dad don't have it all together either. And mom and dad aren't aren't perfect. And we're still struggling as well. So together, we're going to look to XYZ resource. And, you know, I don't have a go-to place for that, but I think any parent that wants to find help on any issue, whether their kid has an eating disorder or a sleeping disorder or an anger problem or whatever they're, they're struggling with, there's, there's an easy path to find resources for that. And then for the parent to say, you know, I'm not going to end up being the Jesus. I'm not David in the story of David and Goliath. So I'm not going to be able to take this giant down for you, son. But Jesus is bigger than this giant. And together we're going to move toward him and let him speak into the situation. And we're going to realize it's going to be a process. You know, normally these giants don't show up overnight. I think I used the illustration of the person that had the little pet tiger. And they got this little pet and it's cute and cuddly, but they keep coddling it. And finally it turns into, you know, an animal that takes a swipe at them. And then you read about them in the news. And that happens every couple of months on the headline, (laughs) you know, (laughs) tiger kills woman in Idaho. And you're like, what did the lady have a tiger for? Well, she got it (laughs) when it was a little tiger cub and it was really cute and cuddly. But then one day it realized I'm a tiger and, 
you know, it was all over. And so these things don't show up overnight and they don't normally go away overnight. And so I think for a parent, if you could just sort of take that pressure off, you don't have to be the solution, the savior, and you don't have to fix this before the weekend. And if you can be vulnerable enough to say that and at the same time look for whatever help is needed, whether it's professional help, um, a Bible study, a resource, a book, um, a video that you can turn your kids towards, then start down that road and then know that at the end of the day, you know, you don't have control over the situation. And I don't really know how you navigate that because I haven't had to do it. But to realize even if you do your very best, that sometimes that still doesn't give you the outcome that you had hoped for. Well, thank you so much for spending uh, so much time with us today. We really appreciate you um, personally and professionally. Uh, And, you know, of course, guys, you can go to lifeway.com, Amazon, wherever books are sold and, and pick up a copy of Goliath Must Fall for Young Readers. Um, I also just noticed uh, Goliath Must Fall devotional. I didn't even know that was out. So I just saw that as I was looking uh, to make sure we already had it because it technically at the time of this recording, it doesn't come out for just a little bit. So, uh, but but guys, um, do take a look at that. And just thank you so much for being here, Louie. And, and thanks so much to our listeners as well. Always love being on with you guys. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. Thanks, Louie.